begin by reading a passage out of Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, saying the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I don't know um, what your experience of Christmas is. I don't know uh, if for you this is the time of year that you tend to kind of dread. Maybe it brings back a lot of bad memories uh, growing up. Uh, maybe Christmas represents... In your mind, all that is wrong with humanity. <laughs> uh, but for me, I love Christmas. And if you're a part of Mosaic, you know that I absolutely uh, love Christmas. Some of my favorite childhood memories are Christmas memories. And uh, now, now it's fun because now I'm a dad and uh, two little girls, they're five and three. And they're kind of finally at this point in life where they're both fully, well, not fully, but understanding a lot of what's going on. And so, you know, if you're married, you've kind of gone through this. You grow up and you have these traditions that you do in your family, and that's normal. Like, that's Christmas, of course. And then you get married, and, and they have different, your wife has different traditions, of course. This is what Christmas is. And, uh, and now we're kind of finding this rhythm together where we're starting to figure out what are those traditions that are going to be ours and are going to be true of our family. So, for example, you know, growing up, we never did the Christmas lights on the house type thing. That was not a thing we did in our family because I'm guessing my dad thought like I did that it's freaking cold outside, and uh, going out there twice uh, in the cold, it just cost-benefit ratio does not add up. I'm not, we're not going there. But for Megan, like, that was a big deal. That was something they did every year, and she looked forward to it, and her and her dad would do that every year. Uh, so she talked me into doing it this year, and uh, I did it, and mostly because it was like 60 degrees still in December. Um, but we did it, and the girls, you know, are absolutely, they love it, so I'm sure that's going to be one of those Christmas traditions that we do, and and we've been working our way through all these movies, you know, some of them that I grew up with, like Charlie Brown, you know, Christmas special. Um, Home Alone. Any Home Alone fans? Yes. So good. And my girls, like, just want to watch it repeatedly. I love that they love it. It just makes me feel good. Uh, and then we added some new ones, like Elf, you know, which is great, with Will Ferrell. And a uh, little bit of a surprise, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Danny Elfman, Tim Burton. Yeah, you can judge me if you want. Go ahead. Uh, our girls love that, and uh, Tim Burton's a genius, so bug off. But, uh, so, so, you know, we, we were, we're watching movies, and then we're baking cookies and doing the, the almond bark, you know, the pretzels, which are my favorite, and uh, starting to do all these different things, and, and we're, I'm reading the Christmas story to them, which is fun. And, uh, but somewhere along the way, we picked up this, uh, it's a plastic nativity set, and it's not like a decorative piece. It's actually like a toy, and so, you know, you've got like the plastic stable and plastic donkeys and sheep and plastic Joseph and Mary and a plastic angel that sticks on top. 
And, uh, and so the girls now are, we got it out last week, and they're actually like reenacting the Christmas story, you know, with the, the little nativity scene, which is funny because they're three and five, and they have an imagination. And so uh, I don't know about your nativity set, but ours has ballerinas and Barbies and, and teddy bears, and even Dora the Explorer is there to celebrate the birth of our Lord. And... Um, <laughs> You know, just, it's funny, and, uh, and the best is when they fight over it, you know, because I walked in the other day, and Paige was like, Chloe, stop stealing baby Jesus! You have to share baby Jesus! And uh, as a pastor, I think that's funny. But, um, you know, but it, it's funny because, you know, as a dad, I, I'm venturing to guess, honestly, that it's this, for a three- and a five-year-old, very quickly, Christmas is becoming like a pretty convoluted thing. Um, and, and I don't know about you or if you've gone through this, but as a parent, like, I'm finding myself, I, I'm finding myself having to negotiate, like, like, at what point do I just, you know, like, I want to let them use their imaginations. And it's okay if Dora's at the birth of Jesus. That's okay, you know? She's worshiping, you know? Um, and let their imaginations kind of run wild. And yet, at the same time, like, how do I as a dad like, like help them grasp reality, you know? Uh, how do I help them in the midst of all the noise? Uh, not lose sight of the truth. And, and if I'm really honest, like that's a question that I'm finding myself having to ask myself this Christmas uh, because it's constant. Like There's so much noise. Um, maybe for you, you've realized that, like for me, like sometimes Christmas can feel, start to feel very plastic in a sense. Um, you know, you walk into any department store and everything is Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. I swear Target put their stuff out in July this year like earlier every year. Uh, radio stations, you know, are playing Christmas music 24-7, just constant. If you have a television, how many Christmas commercials do you think you see in an hour? You know, and if you have kids, they're making sure you're seeing those. Like, Dad, you see that? I want that. You need to buy that. Uh, it's just constant. And it's not that any of those things are bad, but, but the question for me is, like, how do we not lose sense of what's real uh, amidst, amidst all the noise, you know? Um, how do I not allow it to, to start to feel plastic, right? Because, like, if you're like me and you grew up in church, even the story itself can start to feel plastic, can it? I mean, I, I think I might have heard the Christmas story more than any other story ever uh, in my life. Like, every year, it's, it's the same thing. It's the same story over and over and over. In fact, if you're here and you didn't grow up in church, and maybe this is like a once or twice a year type thing, you know the Christmas story. You know, you might not know all the Christmas story and everything that's in it, but you have a pretty good idea because it's just one of those that's everywhere. It's sung about, it's shown about. We have all these movies we watch. So much noise. Right? But how do we, how do we keep track of, of what's real uh, amidst all of that noise? Right? Because it's so easy. I, I find myself sometimes, like, without thinking about it, the story starts to move into the fairy tale category, right? It's just a story. Right? It should start with once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away and end with they all live happily ever after. Just very easy to get very, very uh, numb to. Uh, and so here's what I want to do tonight. For a few moments, as we gather together, and, and as we prepare for the next couple, few days, uh, if you're like me, you'll spend time with family and friends, and you'll feast, and you'll exchange gifts, and play board games, or whatever it is that your family does. Before we jump in, uh, I want us to stop and, and, in a sense, enter into the story and remember. 
remember. Because when we get together at Christmas, right, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, what we remember is that this isn't just a fairy tale, that this isn't just a story in a galaxy far, far away, but that this, this actually happened, or that Jesus actually was born. His life is well documented. That God actually entered into human history, and he did it in real time, alongside real people like you and I. This is one of the reasons I love that video. We might show this video every year, just to warn you, because it, it, like, it, it's real, right? It takes this story from 2,000 years ago and brings it to today and puts it right in front of our face, right? It, it takes this story that happened a long time ago, and it takes us right into today, into our context. We see their faces. We see what they're feeling, what they're going through. I, I love that. These weren't just plastic figurines, representing people of, of ancient times and places, but that they were real people, just like you and I, right? The shepherds were real people, right? They worked an entry-level job that most people weren't lining up for, wasn't considered a particularly clean job, right? They might as well have been a, a plumber or a custodian. They were real people. They would have driven pickup trucks and listened to country music, right? They would have loved Larry the Cable Guy. Those are shepherds. They were real people, Right? Joseph, too, he was a simple blue-collar construction worker, just like his dad. He was a hard worker. He loved his fiance. He had a plan. Right? Mary, she was, a, she was a teenager. She loved Joseph. Right? She had hopes and dreams for her life, for their marriage, and perhaps the family that they would have one day. And then into these lives, into this, these normal stories of, of everyday life, normal people like you and I, God does something magnificent. And we're told in one of those moments where God moves and you just can't explain it, but you can't deny it, we're told that an angel is sent to Mary to announce that God is about to do something unprecedented in human history, that God himself would become Emmanuel, God with us, that, that the, the creator was about to step into creation, the master artist was about to step onto the canvas and more, more, more than that, he, he wouldn't be a powerful man of wealth and stature, but that he would enter into our story as a baby of all things. And that he would do it through a couple of very ordinary people, just like you and I, who were afraid and who had more questions than answers. And so tonight, to help us to enter into this story, uh, I want to read for you a piece uh, by an author named Ken Geyer. A as we reflect together on what it must have been like on that night 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. For the census, the royal family has to travel 85 miles. Joseph walks while Mary, nine months pregnant, rides side saddle on a donkey, feeling every jolt, every rut, every rock in the road. By the time they arrive, the small hamlet of Bethlehem is swollen from an influx of travelers. The inn is packed people feeling lucky if they were able to negotiate even a small space on the floor. But now it's late. Everyone is asleep and there's no room. But fortunately for them, the innkeeper is not all shekels and mites. True, his stable is crowded with his guests' animals, but if they could squeeze out even a little privacy there, they were welcome to it. Joseph looks over at Mary, whose attention is concentrated on fighting a contraction. We'll take it, he tells the innkeeper without hesitation. The night is still when Joseph cracks open the stable door. As he does, a chorus of barn animals makes this discordant note of the intrusion. The stench is pungent and humid, 
as there have not been enough hours in the day to tend to the guests, let alone the livestock. A small oil lamp lent them by the innkeeper flickers to dance shadows on the walls. A disquieting place for a woman in the throes of childbirth. Far from home, far from family, far from what she had expected for her firstborn. But Mary makes no complaint. It is a relief just to finally get off her feet. She leans back against the wall, her feet swollen, back aching, contractions growing harder and closer together. Joseph's eyes dart around the stable. Not a minute to lose. Quickly, a feeding trough would have to make do for a crib. Hay would have to serve as the mattress. Blankets, blankets. Ah, his robe, that would do. And those rags hung out to dry would help. A gripping contraction doubles Mary over and he sends him racing for a bucket of water. The birth would not be easy, either for the mother or the child. For every royal privilege for this son ended at conception. A scream from Mary knifes through the calm of the silent night. Joseph returns breathless, water sloshing from the wooden bucket. The top of the baby's head has already pushed its way into the world. Sweat pours from Mary's contorted face as Joseph, the most unlikely midwife in all Judea, rushes to her side. The involuntary contractions are not enough. And Mary has to push with all her strength, almost as if God were refusing to come into the world without her help. Joseph places a garment beneath her, and with a final push and a long sigh, her labor is over. The Messiah has arrived. Elongated head from the constricting journey through the birth canal. Light skin as the pigment would take days or even weeks to surface. The baby chokes and coughs. And Joseph instinctively turns him over and clears his throat. And then he cries. Mary bares her breast and reaches for the shivering baby. She lays him on her chest and his helpless cries subside. Deity nursing from a young maiden's breast. Could anything be more puzzling or more profound? Joseph sits exhausted, silent, and full of wonder. The baby finishes and sighs, the divine word reduced to a few unintelligible sounds. Then, for the first time, his eyes fix on his mother's. Deity straining to focus, the light of the world squinting. Tears pull in her eyes. She touches his tiny hand, and hands that once sculpted mountain ranges clings to her finger. She looks up at Joseph and through a watery veil, their souls touch. He crowds closer, cheek to cheek with his betrothed. And together they stare in awe at the baby Jesus, whose heavy eyelids begin to close. It has been a long journey. The king is tired. And so with barely a ripple of notice, God stepped into the warm lake of humanity without protocol and without pretension. Where you would have expected angels, there were only flies. Where you would have expected heads of state, there were only donkeys, a few haltered cows, a nervous ball of sheep, a tethered camel, and a furtive scurry of curious barn mice. Except for Joseph, there was no one to share Mary's pain or her joy. Yes, there were angels announcing the Savior's arrival, but only to a band of blue-collar shepherds. And yes, a magnificent star shone in the sky to mark his birthplace, but only three foreigners bothered to look up and follow it. And thus, in the little town of Bethlehem, that one silent night, the royal birth of God's Son tiptoed quietly by 
as the world slept. If I could challenge us in any way this Christmas, it'd be don't sleep through Christmas. Feast, yes. Laugh, yes. Celebrate, yes. Exchange gifts, yes. But don't sleep through the noise and miss what it's all about. That God has done something extraordinary. That God has done something magnificent for you and for me. Don't miss it. Right, tonight as we gather, we gather to remember that 2,000 years ago, God did something extraordinary through two ordinary people. Right, we, we remember that this wasn't just a fairy tale, that this actually happened. That God came, that He is at work all around us, even, even when we sleep through it, even when we're unaware of it. We remember that He came to us even when we weren't looking for Him, and that He still does. And more than just his birth, right? we remember his life and his death and his resurrection. Right? The good news of Christmas is not just that Jesus was a baby. We celebrate that Christmas marks the day when humanity stood at the dawn of redeeming grace. But that little child who laid on a wooden manger would 30-some years later lay on the wood of the cross for you and for I so once and for all we can have peace with God so that we could be free from our own failures, for that anger, for that bitterness, for our vices, for our addictions, for all the things that we've ever done or haven't done, and for all the things that we will ever do or won't do. And there's no greater cause to celebrate. And so tonight, as we, uh, as we pause and as we remember, uh, we wanted to do something tonight as a church family uh, and with our guests that we don't normally do outside of life groups at Mosaic. And that's why we wanted to remember Jesus uh, in the way that he called us uh, to remember him. In Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 19 and 20, it says this, And Jesus took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 